We've been working our way through the letter to the Romans. Uh, It's a letter in the New Testament written by Paul, who was one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons. Uh, A guy who was once uh, an enemy, uh, enemy number one to Jesus and the church in the world as he was a terrorist seeking to bring an end to Christ and his church. But Jesus saved this this enemy of his, brought him into his, his kingdom, and his moved within Paul a great love and desire to see that good news of the gospel, that Jesus saves enemies, bringing us into his family, that that good news would go to the nations. And so Paul is writing to this church in Rome to remind them of the good news of the gospel and to encourage them that they too could partner with him in seeing the gospel go to the end of the known world at that time as Paul has a desire to go to Spain. Uh, We've been seeing that each week it seems like the good news of the gospel continues to get better. What we've seen over the past chapter is this, even what I prayed this morning, that we as, uh, as those who have been saved, who have been justified, remember God declaring us forgiven uh, of our sin because of Jesus' death for us, uh, but also declaring us as being in a right relationship with Him and His law because of Jesus' perfect life lived on our behalf. We have the, the right to be called God's children because we relate to Him in Jesus. Uh, And we are anticipating and hoping for that glorification that is to come. But we saw last week that due to the widespread effects of of sin, uh, as we are awaiting uh, that glorification to come, we're suffering. We're groaning. All of creation is groaning. We find ourselves in between uh, this time of glorification and living presently in a time where it is marked by great suffering. What does it look like, as Paul told us last week, that we're to wait with patience? I don't know about you, but waiting is hard. Waiting with patience is even harder, especially when it's marked by suffering and burden and grief, and it exposes our weakness. What, what do we do in our weakness? What do we do when... We struggle even to wait. Is there help? Is there hope for weak waiters like me and like you? Let's see. See what Paul says as he continues to remind and expose and show us the depths of the goodness of the gospel. So, if you would look with me, we're in Romans chapter 8, looking at verses 26 through 30 together this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 944. So please follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. 
Let's pray. Jesus, you prayed and asked the Father that He would sanctify us in the truth. Acknowledging that God's Word is that truth. We pray and ask, Heavenly Father, this morning You would remember and hear Christ's prayer. That You would answer it in our midst. And You would use this passage of Scripture to further sanctify us, making us more and more like our elder brother for Your glory. And in His name we pray. Amen. Paul's told us that this hope of glory should sustain us, but we recognize and see that we're weak, that we need help. Paul shows us that here in the very beginning verses, there in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How is that weakness apparent in our lives and in our hearts? Hopefully, you're not going to need a whole lot of convincing from Paul that you are weak and I'm weak. We've already seen it. He's been building this case. Remember, we've already seen that we've been set free from the penalty of sin and its power has been broken through what Jesus has done. His presence still remains. Our hearts have been changed. Our wanters have been fixed. In our hearts, we long and want to obey our God, but we lack the power in and of ourselves to do it. The very things we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing. In and of ourselves, we don't have the strength. We don't have the power. We are too weak in and of ourselves to to live the life that God has called us to live. But we have this privilege, we've seen, to cry out to our God, Abba, Father. Remember what we saw, that that language that Paul is using of of crying or the groaning that we saw this, this past week is one that comes in a place of great desperation, of crying out for help when we're overwhelmed by suffering, when we're we're recognizing our need, but that shows us our weakness. In fact, even here, as we we see, Paul is directing us that one of the the ways that we, we recognize our weakness shows itself in prayer. Because isn't prayer demonstration of our 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 understanding that we are weak? We can't do and live out our lives in our own strength. We need somebody greater more powerful, more strong to enter into our lives to do what we can't do. Notice, we see that that's what Paul is saying here. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We we see that Paul is telling us here, uh, we ought to be praying. That's something that should mark the life of a Christian. That we are a praying people because we recognize our weakness. And God in His grace and His mercy has given us a pathway to find strength and help and hope in the midst of our weakness. And it's prayer. Remember, it's by the Spirit. You now, through what Jesus has done, you can call out to your God, Abba, Father, conscious, knowing that He hears. But notice also what Paul says, the way that weakness shows up. God's given us this great tool. He's given us access to come to Him in prayer and call out to Him. But notice also how the weakness shows up. 
Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Our weakness shows up because sometimes the struggle, the pain, the suffering is so overwhelming that we don't even know what to pray for and what to ask. The words don't come out. Knowledge of even what to pray and ask for in this situation, in my own life, or in the life of somebody around me. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to call out any more than just help to our God. I mean, think about how confusing and how difficult it is to know what actually to ask our God. We've already seen Paul tell us as we're thinking about suffering in our life. Do you remember what he said back over in the beginning of chapter 5? He says in verse 2 of chapter 5, Through him we also have obtained by f- access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Rejoice in our sufferings? God uses our suffering to produce endurance and perseverance and leading to sanctification in our lives? But Paul, just recently you've told us that our suffering leads to groaning and to crying out to God for deliverance and help and hope. What do I do? What do I pray for? What do you pray for? When the burden and the pain and the trials and the struggles are so great, what is God doing? Because we're going to see later, all things work to good, work for good, including the suffering. Does that mean that in the midst of my suffering, do I pray and call out and ask God to deliver me or my loved one from this physical struggle, from this pain, from this oppression? Where do I pray something crazy? God, will you leave them in this? Will you leave me in this to produce the endurance that you know we need? And do not lift up this trial or this suffering or this struggle until you're done doing what you want to do in my life and in my heart. I don't know about you. I do not have the strength to pray a prayer like that. It's difficult. We don't know what to pray. We don't have the wisdom. We don't have the strength. And Paul is acknowledging that. There are times in your life, and you may be going through something right now, that you've completely lost the words. It's been going on so long. The trial is so difficult and so deep. You do not know what to pray for anymore. You recognize your weakness. And it may bring up a question. Well, if I don't know what to pray, is it just hopeless for me even to pray? Will I get any help there? Because sometimes we can approach prayer as if we have to say the exact right words in order for God to act and work and move. And if we don't pray the right thing and dial in the right combination then God is going to withhold things from us. 
It's almost like it's, a, it's a, some sort of magic spell or incantation. Prayer is. We have to convince God. Some of you here are fans of uh, Harry Potter. And in that story, uh, the kids in this school are trying to learn in their charms class how to do a particular spell that will raise stuff up off the table. And it's Wingardium Leviosa. That's what they must say. But some of them have trouble because they don't pronounce it right. And Hermione Granger always has to correct Ron and Seamus Finnegan and these others because they say it wrong. It's Wingardium Leviosa, she tells them. Because if they don't pronounce the Latin right and put the right emphasis on the right syllable, then it all will come flying down or blow up in their face and it doesn't work and only she knows the secret. Is that the way it works with our God? If you don't pronounce it just right and come to Him in the right way and say the right words and count the right number of beads or memorize the exact prayer, is it on my knees? Is it my hands up? Must I be walking forward? Must I be walking backwards? Should I have fasted? Should I have rubbed this foot or that foot? I didn't say a prayer over breakfast this morning. What does that mean? Is God out to get me? We don't know how to pray. We are weak. Does that mean there is no help? There is no hope? No. Look. Look at what Paul tells us. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But remember, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You might not know how to pray. You might not know what to pray right now with what you're going through, but you are not alone. Your God and His goodness and His mercy has poured out and given us His Spirit. You remember what He's already told us. If we belong to Jesus, then the Spirit dwells within us. We are His children and His Spirit is working and active and is helping us in the midst of our prayers. Notice what He says. He helps us in our weakness. The Spirit intercedes for us. And He talks about it with groanings. Groanings too deep for words. Sometimes we don't have the words and we just groan before our God. What Paul is seeming to say here is that the Spirit uses the means of those groans and His groanings as well. Remember, it's not just us that groan in the midst of our pain and suffering. It's not just creation that groans, but here we see in His compassion and His grace, the third person of the Trinity groans and understands our sufferings. We're going to see later next week, Jesus is interceding for us in heaven. But we have one who is actively interceding for us here in our hearts and in our lives. You don't know what to pray for, but you have one who prays with you, who prays for you. Harris, in the middle of the night, when he's scared or when he needs more water, will hear him call out, Throughout the house, my name. Daddy! Daddy! I'll come in there and I'll try to figure out what is it that he needs? What kind of help is he looking for? But this past week, he did not call out my name. I did not hear Daddy. Because he was too sick. He didn't feel good. 
All I heard was, But guess what? I didn't need to hear daddy. I heard the groan. I recognized his pain. I knew his need. And I came to him. Do you know and see that this is how your heavenly father loves and relates and cares for you? That your inability to pray You're lacking the strength even right now in your pain and your suffering to lift up even an audible word to Him does not limit His desire and His ability to be at work and move in your life. We don't have to pray out the exact right things because we have one praying for us. Some of us might be like, whoa, well, if He's praying for us, then it doesn't matter whether I pray or not. No! No. Remember what Paul says. We don't know how to pray as we ought. We should be praying. Jesus, as he was talking, teaching his disciples to pray, he says, when you pray, assuming that they're going to pray. James says, we don't have because we don't ask. God works through prayer. But recognize and see here, even when you mess it up, and you pray the wrong thing, or you lack the strength to even utter the right things before your God, He hears and He works and He moves. Why? Not because of anything about us. Because of His love. Because He's purchased us with Jesus. Because you belong to Him. And His Spirit is in you, working and moving. We are weak. But we have a helper. The Holy Spirit. Well, why is His help any good? Why is hearing that He's interceding for me better than me hearing you're praying for me. Or the group on Wednesday night, Wednesday evening prayed for you. Notice, as Paul directs us from the, the help of the Spirit to here, pointed us to the mind of the Spirit. Look in verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. One, first notice, there is one who is searching hearts. Hear and know the grace and the love that your Father has for you. He's not sitting around just waiting, unknowing what's going on in your life, but He's searching, pursuing, looking in and gazing on, interested in what's going on with your life. He cares. And notice the mind of the Spirit, though. It says, He knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We we might not know what exactly to pray. We lack the wisdom. We lack the understanding. But notice, when the Spirit prays for us, the Spirit knows exactly what to pray. The Spirit prays rightly every single time because as Paul tells us, when the Spirit prays, the Spirit is interceding for the saints according to the will of God. Remember what John tells us in his letter that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears and He acts and He works. You might not know what to pray. I might not know what to pray. 
prolong the suffering, deliver me, set this person free, keep them from stumbling, let them fall on their face. What do I pray? I don't know. Sometimes we, we may look at prayer and think what I'm praying right now isn't accomplishing anything because it doesn't seem like God is answering my prayer. But is that not a distortion of what prayer is? Here, what we're seeing is prayer is seeking and desiring and asking for God's will to come about in my life and yours. Sometimes we look at, at prayer as ordering God around. And we get upset if he doesn't act according to what we're asking him to do. But here, what we see is that what the Spirit is doing, he's always focused on the will, the purpose, the goodness, the glory of God in your life and mine. And everything that the Spirit prays is effectual. It accomplishes exactly what he asks for because his concern is for your goodness and mine. I mean, we, we see that come up in verse 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. You see, we have a different definition sometimes for what good is and whether something is good. We may think that what it looks like for what it will look like for it to work out for good for me right now is to, for this burden to be taken away. For this relationship to be reconciled right here and now. For my pain to stop. For there to be healing and, and peace in my marriage. But sometimes if what Paul is telling us before is good, sometimes God in His great wisdom and as He's seeking to accomplish His purposes in our lives, brings and leads us into places of suffering and great trial. And we need to grow more in resting in and trusting in God's definition of good, in the Spirit's recognition of what is good, and resting and depending on that evaluation and that longing in our heart. I don't know about you, but I think about times in my life where there's been certain things that I've prayed for because I thought that was what was the best thing to happen in that situation and in my life. And the answer I heard, well, I didn't hear an audible answer, but I saw through the experience of my life, God said, no, I'm not answering your prayer that way. And it went the exact opposite way I was praying. But now as I look back on it, I see the kindness of God of His tender care for me and leading me through a place that I never would have asked to go. And I realize now in ways that I probably wouldn't have understood before the depth of His provision, how sufficient He is, that God is enough, no matter if I'm going through, like we've seen in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death, He is present with me. The Spirit, though, is always focused on the glory and the goodness and the righteousness of our God being demonstrated in our lives. We aren't wise enough like we've seen. We're not strong enough. But the Spirit is always seeking and praying for the will of God to occur. And that is good news. But how do we know? How do we know that this goodness 
that Paul mentions here will come about. All things will work together for good. How can we know that? Well, notice lastly what we see. It's because of the purpose of our God. And the God who has a purpose. Notice in verse 28 and following. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Here, Paul is pointing us to the purpose of our God. A purpose that will come about and will be accomplished. He's directing us to recognize and rest in the sovereign goodness and righteous purpose of our God. Notice what Paul points us to of how this purpose will come about and how we know that all things will ultimately work together for good for God's people. Notice first what he says there in verse 28. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Sometimes people approach this this word in this section of, of Romans and think that what it's talking about is God's foreknowledge of knowing cognitively about people in the future. And so uh, God is, knows about people and therefore based on what He knows about them, foreseen faith that they might exercise, foreseen uh, acts of walking and righteousness or goodness, then God looking and seeing what they would do in the future then he determines to predestine and determine what will happen and go about in their lives. But that's not actually what Paul's talking about here. The, the knowledge that Paul is talking here isn't about cognition or knowing about things in the future. That's always true of God. But notice here, Paul is talking about particular people, those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. It's a particular group of people. And the knowledge here is elsewhere in Scripture speaks of knowledge not so much in cognition, but of intimacy and love and knowledge. Oh, it's speaking, uh, seeing this use in elsewhere in the Scriptures. It talks about Adam and his relationship with Eve. It says Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. That's not mental knowledge. That's the depth of a love and an intimacy and a connection. And what Paul is saying here is that this sovereign God who has a purpose, it flows out of His love. He's setting His love on us before we've done anything. It's not foreseen knowledge. It's God in advance, before the foundations of the world, setting and putting His love on us. And what does He do flowing out of His love? Notice what it says. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Predetermined. Decreeing. This sovereign God doesn't just know the future. He knows the future because He has created and made the future. All things fall out according to His purpose, His will, His decrees. God's purpose will come about because He is the sovereign and great one who purposes these things and they come about. And notice what the purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. Here, the, the work that Jesus was given to do on the cross, there is no possibility that it would only be 
one Son of God. Notice the purpose of God. In love, He predestined those to be His. And what is His purpose? That we would be conformed to the image of His Son and that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. This sovereign God who loves His own, on whom He has placed His love, He will accomplish every single one of His purposes for us. And what are those purposes? To make us like Jesus. Remember, the hope that we have set before us is to be glorified as Christ is glorified, to experience the full realization and transformation and renewal of all things. Paul is saying that's going to happen. How do we know? Well, look at what he continues to go on and say. Those whom he predestined, he also called. This isn't a a general call. It's a specific, effectual call. Notice, all those that he foreknew, he predestined. And all those whom He predestined, He called. And all those He called, He justified. Not one is lost. There isn't anybody who's called in this way of being called that doesn't end up being justified because the sovereign God is working out His purpose. We've seen, as Paul has explained to us, what that means. We're forgiven in Christ. We're counted righteous in Him because of what He's done. But notice where He goes. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Remember where Paul was taking us before. Remember, we're experiencing suffering now. When is glorification going to happen? It's in the future. It's not until Jesus comes. We're not glorified yet. We're to wait patiently with hope, focused on the glory that's to come. But notice how sure this purpose and work of God is. That it's spoken of here by our God through the Apostle Paul in the past tense. The way God looks at it is it is so sure and definite that it will come about that He speaks of it as having already taken place. Do you doubt God's goodness? Do you doubt His love? Do you doubt that the suffering that you're going through, the trial and the hardship that you are dealing with can be worked for good? Is God able to do that? Yes. Yes, He is. Nothing will frustrate His purposes for you. Not your weakness, not your doubts, not your struggles, not the brokenness that you experience in this world. Because the Sovereign One has purposed in His love your predestination, your calling, your justification, and your glorification. Paul doesn't shy away from acknowledging how hard it is to suffer and the magnitude of what you are going through right now. But hear and know the help and the hope that we have rooted in the love of our God and the sovereignty of His purposes that He will bring it about. It's not based on your good works, on your deeds, on you praying the right things. It's rooted in His love, His mercy, His kindness, the effectual prayers of the Spirit, and Him bringing about this work in your life. Have hope. In your grief, know you have a God who loves you and He's helping you in your weakness. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the hope that we have in the Gospel. We thank You that the grace and the mercy that you determined 
to show us through Jesus has and will come about for us. When we're tempted to question and doubt your care, your love, the help that is ours, we pray that you would reassure us through the power of your Spirit, you would comfort and equip and help us in prayer. That in our groanings, we would know and find your help, your comfort, and realize the goodness that you have for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.